God, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for the time we get to share this morning, the time that we get to come together, the time that we get to uh, just open up your word. God, you speak to us through your word. And God, I pray as I do every week that you would speak through me this morning. Would the words that come out of my mouth be your words for your people on your day, God? We are here to hear from you. No one here came this morning just to hear from me, God. We come to hear a word from you. So God, I just pray that you would speak into each and every one of our hearts, that we would leave here challenged and shaped and knowing that we have met with the one true God. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. There we go. feel better now. Well, we are in week two of this series uh, of Advent. And, uh, you know, really what we've been talking about over this last week and this week is really uh, talking about the Old Testament prophecies of the one who was to come. Right, the expected one, the Messiah, that we know him as Jesus. We know him as Jesus. And over the course of the rest of this month, we're going to kind of continue to look through the Old Testament, to look at some of the prophecies that, that foretell of the coming of Jesus. Uh, for the next few weeks, or I guess this week and next week, we're going to stick in the book of Isaiah. But over the, just over the course of the month, we're just going to continue to dive deep into Scripture. That is what we have been doing all year long. We've just been really going deep into different parts of Scripture. I felt like this would be a fitting year to just kind of just really go in depth to some of the Old Testament prophecies of, of Jesus. And so that's what we've been doing. Last week we looked at Isaiah 9 uh, and really saw in Isaiah 9 the promise of his coming. Into a hopeless, fearful gloom in chapter 8, we see unto us a son is born, a child is given. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We find, we find hope in these names. His coming would bring light into darkness. It would bring hope into hopelessness. And so we, 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 and it was sealed. This promise of his coming was sealed with the last verse that we read, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, if you, I, I said this last week, if, I don't think there's a better, like, like pinky swear doesn't, doesn't come close to the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this, right? <laughs> you can't get any better than that. You can't get any clearer than that. This will happen. The Messiah will come. So this week, uh, we're just going to turn the page just a couple times to chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, uh, starting at verse 1 is where we're going to be. We'll go to verse 10 or so. Uh, if you're in one of our pew Bibles and need a page, it's on page 595. Uh, and uh, yeah, let's just read this. We'll, we'll read this together. Isaiah chapter 11, starting at verse 1. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. And the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. The cow will feed the bear with the bear. Their young will lie down together. 
And the ox will eat straw like, or the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. I want to stop there this morning, and I just, this is a great passage. This is a, a passage that, uh, as we'll see, foretells of the coming Messiah for who we know as Jesus, right? This is telling of Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to do a similar thing to last week. Last week, we looked at that passage in two different lenses, right? We looked at the historical lens of this passage and then the prophetical lens. What is this passage looking forward to? And so that's what I want to do again this morning. Let's look back and see what the historical lens of this passage is. As you can imagine, two chapters later is not a drastically different historical lens than chapter 9. Right, but I'll, I'll go a little bit deeper this morning for you into that kind of historical lens because uh, there is a looming threat really in, in the book of Isaiah all the way through chapter like 36, 37 or so. There's this, there's this looming threat on the horizon of Assyria. And Assyria is wanting to come, they want to, the resources, they want the land, they want to take over, and every country in the area really has a question to answer, and it's this question, what are we going to do with Assyria? Do we rise up against them, or do we join forces with them? And rising up against them is one thing, right? You've got this giant army of Assyria who will do whatever it takes to take you out, but Joining forces with them is also something. Like, you have to be really almost gullible to be able to join forces with Assyria, this place who wants to take you over. And what we know, looking back now, is that those people who did face the consequences. Right? Assyria was, was, we wanted one thing, and they got that one thing. Right? We, we know that it didn't really matter what, what side you chose. Assyria was going to do what they were going to do. You know, in this context is exactly what Isaiah went into. Right, Isaiah, in chapter 7 uh, of Isaiah, uh, he goes actually to King Ahaz. Uh, king Ahaz is the king of Judah at the time, and God sends him to King Ahaz really with this, with this in mind. He basically says this. He says, look, don't, like it says in 7.4, be careful, be calm. Don't freak out. Assyria is coming. I got you. This is basically the message from Isaiah to King Ahaz. We won't go read it, but that's basically what he says. Be careful, be calm, I got you. Now, King Ahaz was related to King David, but that was about as far as the similarities, that's about as much similarities as we have there between King Ahaz and King David. King Ahaz was actually uh, a pretty wicked king, uh, not the most wicked, we heard about that in the Elijah series a while back, but uh, he was a pretty wicked king, uh, and uh, he promoted idol worship, he even offered some of his own children to the god Molech, that story is in 2 Chronicles 28 if you're interested, but to the surprise of absolutely no one listening right now, <laughs> Ahaz takes the advice of Isaiah and does the exact opposite. He goes to Assyria, tries to join forces with Assyria, and exactly what you think happened, happened. 
It's exactly what we thought would happen. Isaiah basically says to them, Isaiah, Ahaz, don't put your hope in Assyria. Put your hope in God. That hope in Assyria is a false hope. And that's exactly what they got. The Assyrians took over in about 586 BC. And if you want to get a sense for what that was like as Assyria takes over, you can read the book of Lamentations. Lamentations chapter 1, verse 1. Just listen to this. How deserted lies the city once so full of people. That's what happened. How deserted lies the city so full of people. This outcome might have come as a surprise to Ahaz, but it did not come as a surprise to Isaiah. In fact, God told Isaiah this is exactly what would happen. If you go back with me to chapter 6, we won't read the whole chapter 6. I encourage you to, if you've never read the whole entire chapter of Isaiah 6, to do that this morning or later on today. Such a great image of just Isaiah seeing the throne room of God. But basically, after this, in this, in this time, God basically says, who's going to go? Who can I send? And Isaiah raises his hand. He says, here I am, send me. And here's, here's what he says. God says in verse 9, he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps when they are cut down, the holy seed will be the stump in the land. This is God giving Isaiah exactly what is going to happen. You can just see, see this imagery of Israel just being a forest of stumps. They are cut down. The Assyrians have come, they have cut down, and they have cleared out everything. You hear that language, the seed will become a stump, and it just seems like like a hopeless endeavor at that point. But then you get to our passage this morning. How does does our passage start this morning? Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Israel is... A forest of stumps. But into this hopelessness, into this dark time, in this time where everything seems to be laid bare, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. There's there's hope here. From a historical perspective, this passage brings a lot of hope to people who are who are feeling a little bit of a little bit of hurt with the Assyrians, right? They, they've just been taken over by the Assyrians. They they know what is about to happen. Israel is about to be laid bare, but from the stump of Jesse, from the stump of Jesse, a shoot will come up. So that's the historical lens. What about a prophetic lens? What is this looking forward to? What is this passage? What is Isaiah prophesying about? What is he? What is he looking at? What is he looking forward to? What is coming in the future? And that answer is simply Jesus. Jesus is the one that he is speaking of. You get to to Matthew chapter 1, and guess who's in the genealogy of Jesus? Jesse, the father of David. A a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Who who could that be? That's Jesus. 
Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that is being prophesied of. In Revelation chapter 22, Jesus himself says that he is the root and the offspring of David, who is the son of Jesse. All right, this is exactly what Isaiah is going here. This passage goes a little bit, this, this, this passage though goes a little bit deeper than chapter nine. In chapter nine, what we read, really what we saw was just a promise of the coming of Jesus. Chapter 11 goes a little bit beyond that. That verse one really talks about the coming of Jesus, right? Out of the stump of Jesse, there will be a shoot. That's talking about the coming of Jesus. But it goes deeper than just talking about the coming of Jesus. It begins to tell us about what Jesus' life is going to look like. Who is this Messiah actually going to be? All right, Isaiah chapter 9, we got some names for the Messiah. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now we can draw out from those names what Jesus is going to be like, and we did last week. But here's here's what we have in chapter 11. We see uh, just a few different things that are going to mark the life of this Messiah. And the very first thing is this, that he will be given the Holy Spirit. He will be given the Spirit of God. You get to verse 2 in chapter 11. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will be given the Spirit of the Lord. He'll be given wisdom. He'll be given understanding. He'll be given might and knowledge and fear. How do we see this Do we see this even played out in the New Testament? Absolutely, we see this played out in the New Testament. This is Jesus. You look in Luke chapter 2. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, I'm sorry I didn't get the page number in our pew Bibles. Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's the third gospel. Luke chapter 2, starting uh, starting at verse 41. I just want to read just a couple different stories in Luke. And just, just I want you to see this played out and what Jesus was. Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. We're not going to go into the parenting there. We're just going to just leave that, all right? Uh, <laughs> thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. You see just the understanding. He's, he's, he's hungry for the wisdom. He's hungry for the understanding. You turn the page to chapter 4, uh, chapter four, starting at verse 14. This is as Jesus is an adult now. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him, just even that, in the power of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is on Jesus at this point. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. News about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues. Everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he, was in, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I didn't actually read far enough in chapter 2 either. It says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. What you see here is you see Jesus with the Spirit of God on him doing exactly what Isaiah said he would do. Being exactly who Isaiah said he would be, he'll be given wisdom and understanding. We see that. He'll be given counsel and might. We see that. Knowledge and fear of the Lord, absolutely. He had more fear of the Lord than he did of his parents. (laughs) He left his parents to be in the temple. Think about that. He had the fear of the Lord. We see this, this fulfilled here. We see all of these marks that Isaiah prophesies about Jesus just in these two chapters. That's, that's two chapters of the Gospels that we know of Jesus. And there's, I could go on and on and on about the ways in which Jesus fulfills this. What else does Isaiah say in chapter 11 will be kind of a mark of the Messiah, right? We see that he's going to be having the Spirit. You keep reading in the end of verse 3 there. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. What is this talking about? This is saying that this Messiah is going to be someone that is going to come and is going to contend for the weak. He's going to come and he's going to contend for the weak. He's going to be a champion for the poor. Do we know where Jesus does that? Absolutely. This this marks Jesus. It's not based on what he sees or what he hears, but it's based on on his righteousness. In John 7, Jesus is talking to the people who are are questioning him about healing on the Sabbath. And he says, stop judging by mere appearances. (laughs) Don't just judge by appearances. Look correctly. See it for what it is. This is a person. And this person is now healed. We see Jesus over and over and over again spending time with the people that he shouldn't spend time with eating with the people he shouldn't eat with, healing the people that he's not supposed to touch, right? We see Jesus just being a champion for the weak, a champion for the poor. Probably the most famous time we see this in Jesus is Matthew chapter 8, verse 24, where he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus contends and is a champion for those who are weak. This is what Isaiah says he would be. So Isaiah says the Messiah would be. We see this in Jesus. He keeps going. In in Isaiah chapter 11, the end of verse 4 there, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. What will be the next mark of the Messiah according to Isaiah here? He is going to be someone who loves righteousness. The Messiah will be someone who loves righteousness. The first verse that comes to my mind is Matthew chapter 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is what Jesus Jesus does. He, He is someone who loves righteousness. We see him talking about this. We see him acting in this way. We see Jesus fulfilling this. 
But Isaiah's not even done there. I think Isaiah's not even close to done here because this is the most amazing part is the rest of this passage. Verse 6, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, or in that day, the root of Jesse, remember where we started here, will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Here's, Here's what Isaiah is saying here. This coming Messiah is going to be someone whose kingdom is marked by peace. The lion and the lamb lying together. The bear and the ox together. Babies and cobras. <laughs> it's just kind of a, a weird image, but I think about this. Like, and it says, no one's going to hurt each other. This, this kingdom that the coming Messiah is coming to initiate, coming to bring, is going to be a kingdom of, of peace. I mean, we see pictures here of enemies living together, no harm, no destruction, just knowledge of the Lord filling the whole earth. This is a, this is a kingdom of peace. It reminds me of Luke 2 again, this time the story of the birth of Jesus. Remember the shepherds who are out in the fields watching their flocks by night. What does the angel come and say to them in Luke chapter 2? Let's read this. Luke chapter 2. Uh, Suddenly, verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, this is to the shepherds, praising God, and they were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. What are the angels saying is going to come with this coming Messiah, this baby Jesus that these shepherds are going to go see? Peace on earth. Peace on earth. The lion laying down with the lamb, the babies and the cobras, like all together, everything together, peace on earth. On earth. Now, when you think of the picture of Christmas story, though, peace is not necessarily something that comes to mind. For me, at least. Teenage Mary, finding out she's pregnant. In a culture where that is not widely accepted, to say the least. Has to travel across the country. There's no room to stay. Ends up in a barn where she would have the baby. Now, I'd come up with a lot of words to describe that. I don't think peace would be one. After the birth, the king freaks out because he hears what's happening and wants to kill all the babies under two years, all the baby boys under two years old. It doesn't sound like peace to me. It doesn't sound like, like a peaceful time, but Jesus brings peace. Amen. What does this look like? Well, I mean... There's a time in John 14, Jesus is talking with his disciples. What he's doing in this passage in John chapter 14 is he is talking to his disciples about the fact that he's going to leave them. John chapter 14 is actually the passage where we talk about the Holy Spirit. Unless I leave, the Holy Spirit can't come. It's better for you that I leave, which we can go into later at Easter maybe. (laughs) But in John 14, Jesus says this. My peace I give you. My peace 
I give you. Actually, let's go ahead and read that. John chapter 14. If you want to go there. I know we're flipping around a lot today, but we're going to keep doing it. So, yeah. John chapter 14. Jesus is, is comforting. John chapter 14, 27. He's comforting his disciples. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Peace I leave with you. Then he clarifies it. Hold on, I didn't just mean that. My peace I give you. Not just any peace. Not just the kind of peace and quiet that we get when we're alone for a little bit. Not that kind of peace. He's talking about the peace of God. That peace of God that Philippians 4 tells us is that transcends all understanding. That is the kind of peace that Jesus brings. So when we, when we light this candle of peace this morning, what we're talking about is not just kind of a, like a break from the chaos of the season. We're talking about a peace that transcends all understanding. A peace that, that only God can give. A peace that comes only from him. A peace that, that transcends all understanding. We don't even understand the peace that Jesus is trying to give us this Christmas. I, I really don't think so. Because we can't. It transcends all understanding. But this is the peace that that Jesus brings when he comes. This is the peace that comes with Advent. It is the peace of God. And go back with me. He brings, uh, Isaiah talks about this this kind of peace coming into a time where Israel is just a, a forest of stumps. Now, you walk in a forest of stumps, I'm sure it seems a little peaceful, right? It's there's nothing there. But there's nothing there. And Isaiah says, from these stumps, Jesus is going to come. And when Jesus comes, he is going to bring peace. This kingdom that he comes with, this kingdom that he brings with him, is going to be a kingdom of peace. Into the darkness, into the hopeless time, he brings peace. And how amazing that 800 years before the coming of Jesus, we read these words in Isaiah 11. From the stump of Jesse, a root will come. He's going, the Spirit of God is going to be on him. He's going to just love and live righteousness. And he's going to bring a kingdom of peace. Amen and amen. This is the Jesus that comes. And as we go forward this week, I want you to just just think about this Jesus bringing peace. What kind of peace do you think Jesus can bring in your life? What kind of peace do you think he brings to you this Advent season? It's a peace that goes beyond even your understanding. But I want you just to just let that try and soak in. Jesus has come. The light of the world has come. And he brings us hope and he brings us peace. Let's pray. God, we love you this morning. And we're grateful for our time that we get to spend in your word. We're grateful for the time we get to spend with each other. And God, this morning, I just, as we think about what Isaiah says about the coming Messiah, that he is going to be, he's going to be Jesus. He's going to bring a kingdom of peace. He's going to have the spirit of God upon him, God. He's going to to love and live righteously, God. We just would we just see these in our own life as we as we try and become Christ-like. 
Will we look for ways that the Spirit of God is on us? Will we look for ways in which we can love righteousness? Will we look for ways in which we can bring peace into our world? But not just our peace, God. We bring your peace. God, I just pray this week that you would just, you would just reveal to us, that you would show us, you would remind us of the peace that you give, especially during this Advent season. And as we do that, may we make a difference for you wherever we may find ourselves. God, I just pray for our time following this. I pray for the food. I pray that you would use this food to give us the energy we need for today, that we would find the connections with each other uplifting and encouraging, that we would go forward from this place just ready to, to live for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? Let me just pray a blessing over you and uh, and we'll go eat. (laughs) May our God, God of grace and love, God of hope and peace, may he go with you and ahead of you this week. May the peace that passes all understanding be upon you. And may you go forward in courage and hope as you make a difference for him wherever you may find yourself. Go in the love of Christ, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.